We're speaking a series uh, right now called Your First Touch. How many of you have ever felt like the Lord has touched you? Just wave at me. Thank you, guys. You know, God has a way of imparting something to us when maybe we need it the most. Last week, we talked about a leper, a man with leprosy, that came to Jesus and needed a touch. And the Bible says that Jesus was not just willing to touch him, was not just able to heal him, but he was willing and able. So he was uh, uh, the right, right answer at the right moment. But this week, I want to preach into your ears uh, a different concept of what it means to have a connection with God. One is when God touches you. But there's a different thing that can happen when you, in fact, touch God. So many times we, we, we like to blame everything on somebody else. Uh, so many times we like to, to blame everything maybe on our parents because they, they, didn't, they didn't do exactly what we wish they had done. Or if, they, if you're a, a, a child or, or if you have several siblings, you, you have this feeling that maybe one of them was treated better than you were. Or maybe they got more than you got or maybe they were favored over you or whatever. And we've got this, this way of wanting to uh, put blame on somebody else. We, we've got this, this, maybe if you were an athlete, you've got this one coach that... You just, you know, he didn't like me. That's why I didn't get to play. Or maybe, maybe in class you had a teacher that, that didn't, you know, you felt like they give everybody else the best grades. You didn't get the best grades. We've got this inward nature to just blame everybody around us when the reality is, is almost all the time when we point the finger at somebody else, as the old saying goes, there's at least three fingers pointing back at us. We've got to get to where we look in the mirror and make our adjustments instead of trying to find a way to adjust everybody around us. You know, you can drive down the road and you can wish all day long there wasn't a curve or a bend in the road, but if you don't curve and bend with the road, you're going to find your car wrapped around a tree or lying upside down in a ditch. We have to make adjustments in our own life or before you know it, we're going to have big problems. So for us, we have to recognize that touching God and God touching us is something that can happen at any moment, at any time, in any place, in any way. And, and when we recognize that He's not only there, but He's also available, that He's not just available, but He's also powerful and willing, now we have an opportunity to experience some of what God has to offer that maybe we wouldn't have otherwise. Luke chapter number 8, Behold, there was a man named Jairus, and he was ruler of the synagogue, fell at Jesus' feet and besought him, that he would come to his house for he had only one daughter about 12 years of age and she lay dying but, <clears throat> but as he went the people thronged on him. So what happened is is Jairus came to Jesus in the middle of all the people that were trying to get, trying to get close to Jesus and Jairus says can you please come to my house and heal my little girl. She's 12 years old. She's my only child and, and she's sick and if something doesn't happen she's going to die. Now, now, if you have kids, you understand how amazingly sincere that prayer would be. He was so serious that he didn't care what anybody thought about him. He didn't care what anybody said about him. He had to get to the place where he could get to Jesus because Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, is the only one who can help when those kind of situations show up. So he goes to Jesus, but he's not just a man. The Bible says that he's a ruler in the synagogue. And a ruler in the synagogue is, is somebody very interesting. They would be considered and perceived as clean in society's eyes. They would be considered to be kind of the, 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 the upper crust, if you will, in society. 
And he throws all of his concerns and ideas away because if you remember, Jesus oftentimes was not celebrated in the temple. He was oftentimes not celebrated in the synagogues. Oftentimes he was ridiculed and told to be a heretic and told to be a a man filled with demons and all these other things. So what Jairus did is he set aside every societal ideology about himself and said, if this is the man who can help me, I don't care what anybody else thinks, I got to have my daughter healed. Jesus looks at him and says, I tell you what, Jairus, I will come and I will heal your daughter. And they begin to make their way. But the Bible says the people uh, pressed upon him. The people began to uh, throng about him, which means they were literally pulling on him and slowing him down in every way you could imagine. So he's walking through a crowd of uh, hundreds, maybe thousands of people. He's had a conversation with Jairus. And when he does, he gets to the place where all the people are pulling and slowing him down. Could you imagine what Jairus was thinking? If it was me, I would have taken, I would have wanted uh, some way, shape, or form where I could literally push through the crowd myself, where I could wedge through the crowd myself. I would have created a, a mighty duck flying V. Come on, somebody help me. I would have created a flying V and I would have got through that crowd because I needed Jesus to get where my daughter was. No, these are important imperative moments and instances that we have to pick up on, we have to notice and we have to recognize because if we don't notice and recognize the severity of the situation, oftentimes we begin to miss the mark. We begin to think, oh, these were different people. These were not different people. They breathed oxygen, they bled red blood, and they walked on two feet. They're just like you and me. So when you read about somebody who's believing God for their sick and dying daughter, you can take yourself and put yourself right in that situation and say, if God was willing to go to his house, then I know God is willing to go to my house. But in our life, we have to recognize Jairus set everything aside. He set all of his, his, his societal or synagogue ideologies aside. And he said, I've got to get to this man named Jesus and I've got to bring Jesus to me. So while he's going, there's a lady comes by and the Bible says uh, a woman having an issue of blood for 12 years, which had spent all her living upon physicians, neither could be healed of any, meaning she went to the doctor, but she couldn't be healed. The doctors couldn't do anything for her. The Bible says she had an issue of blood. Without getting too graphic, it literally means she just bled all the time. And in those day and age, that would mean that you were considered uh, Hebraically unclean. Which means her condition dictated where she went. Her condition dictated where she could not go. Her condition dictated everything about her life. And when you and I recognize that our condition cannot control us unless we give our condition the authority to control us, it's in that moment that now we have an opportunity to excel past whatever's come on us. But literally, this woman had an issue of blood for 12 years. 12 is important. If you remember, the little girl that Jairus is asking Jesus to heal was 12 years old. This woman had had the condition for 12 years. And if we're really honest, everybody that's ever born has a condition of blood of some kind, an issue of blood. Oh, ours might not be physical. Ours might not be in the natural. But everybody, and I mean everybody, has an issue of blood. Twelve years this issue told her what to do. Told her what she could wear. What she could not wear. And maybe it would be better to instead of calling it just an issue or a condition... Maybe it would be more apropos to call it a yoke. 
Now, most of us in here are not farmers. Even though at my house we have a small garden, we do not use oxen to plow it. Those days are over, at least on this side of the Pacific and the Atlantic. But so many times it happens where you get yoked with something. And just like the oxen pulling the plow, that yoke tells you where you can go, where you can't go. I met a man one time. He had these two champion longhorns. They've been in several movies, as a matter of fact, that were yoked together, big longhorn steers. Their backs are this tall. And I said, man, how did you train these longhorns to stay like this? Because, I mean, they're sitting there gentle as lambs. He said, he said, well, it's simple, really. He said, when they're a young calf, you put the yoke on them. He said, and at that time, they're not stronger than the yoke. But if you get them to think the yoke tells them what to do, even when they're strong enough to break it, they won't break it. This woman has a yoke, an issue of blood for 12 years that has told her where to be, how to be, how to get there, told her the kind of company she could keep. Everything about her issue was dictating her life. The Bible says that she spent all of her money on physicians. Let me just say this. Jesus never one time rebuked anybody for going and seeing a doctor. Somewhere in the spirit-filled church, it had begun to it has crept in over the years that medicine and faith are somehow divergent or at least not congruent. The devil is a liar. I'm here to tell you that if somebody is for health, for well-being and all those other things, we ought to not only appreciate what they can do for the body of Christ and for people, but we ought to celebrate what they can do for the body of Christ and, and for people. Literally, never one time did Jesus say you shouldn't have gone to the physician. On the contrary, there was a man that was wounded by a robber, the Bible says, and left for dead. And a Samaritan guy comes by and doctors his wounds, literally doctors them with with wine and oil and helps him to feel better. And literally, if there had been an issue with somebody doing some kind of a medicinal practice, at that time, Jesus certainly wouldn't have told that story. I had it preached one time, I heard it, that said, if you go see a doctor, then somehow you're out of faith. Let me tell you something. Doctors are literally keeping men and women of God that you and me celebrate alive in this day and age right now. I can, sp- I can think of four men right now that in the last 24 months have all had bypass surgeries that if they would not have had those bypass surgeries, they would be in heaven right now. And every one of them you would recognize and every one of them is on television 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Or at least in some capacity. We've got to make sure that we never get to the place where we decide that intellect and faith do not work together. No, Jesus is the author and the finisher of this thing. He didn't say uh, uh, that, 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 that you can't be smart and be a Christian. On the exact opposite, if you eat nothing but, but, but butter and, and cream for the rest of your life and, and for five meals a day, and then you wonder what happened ten years from now when you got something you wouldn't have had to have, I'm not trying to tell anybody about their diet. I'm just saying we ought to be wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. Somebody give God a hand of praise. I feel like I'm alone in here. So many times in our life, we get to the place where there is no answer except Jesus. This is where she found herself. 
She'd done everything in the natural that she could do to try to get past this issue of blood. But she decided in a crowd of people, if that's the man who can fix what I have, then I've got to touch him. She came behind him, verse 44 said, and she touched the border of his garment and immediately her issue of blood was stopped. Immediately her issue of blood was stopped. Now, the hem of his garment, which is a very important thing you can read about in the book of Numbers, it's, it's more like a tassel or the, the very bottom of a hemline. Uh, most oftentimes it was the color blue and, and it, it had indication It reminded the rabbis that wore it of their holiness and their cleanliness. So literally this lady who is considered completely unclean reached out and touched the reminder that Jesus Christ himself is clean. And when she did, the Bible says immediately, everybody say immediately. Immediately Immediately it stopped. No, when you have a problem with God, if you have a problem and you know God is the only answer to that problem, we've got to get through our, our, our mortal mind that God's will for our life is to prosper and be in health as our soul prospers. And Jesus has shown us time and time again, that means right now. Amen. Jesus never one time had somebody come to him and ask for healing and left them the way they were. Surely, if it was not God's will for us to be healed, He would have shown us one example. Surely, in three and a half years, if He would have, was the kind of God who makes people sick, He would have at least walked up to one person and says, you're looking a little bit too healthy, bing, have the flu. Never one time, no, on the contrary, when sickness began to get close to Him, sickness had to flee in every direction. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. This woman carrying around this issue for 12 years. 12 is important because 12 in the scripture always denotes government. The 12 tribes of Israel. The 12 apostles. It always denotes a governing. So what our scripture is telling us is this issue of blood had governed her life for 12 years. Dictated everything about what she could do and what she couldn't do. And she got to the place where she probably wasn't even supposed to be around all the people she was around because she was considered unclean. But she says, I know what I'm considered, but if he's the one who can heal me. And she began to press through the mark, uh, press through the crowd. All the people are around her. Finally, she can't touch his shoulder. She can't touch his elbow. She can't touch his healing hands. She just said, I can just barely touch the very bottom of his garment. And when she did, power flowed into her Jesus stops in his tracks people all around him and Jesus said who touched me it's crazy when all denied which means even the lady denied touching Jesus so she went from being full of faith respectfully to being dishonest Jesus didn't take her healing away Because she was dishonest after she received it. Can I just say this? Stop beating yourself up. If you make a mistake, you repent, you turn away from it, but you quit acting like God is some kind of a roulette dealer and He's trying to give some people a healing, give other people a sickness, give some people this. No, no, no. He's a good God. He's the God that healeth thee. By His stripes you were healed. There is no other way. There is no other Bible. 
So she comes to him, she touched the hem of his garment. Jesus said, who touched me? And when everybody denied Peter, the one who's always close to Jesus, that's why I like Peter. Peter's a straight up rascal, but he's always close to Jesus. One of the things that I knew growing up, and I had some rascal days, don't get me wrong, but one of the things I always knew is I knew who to be around. I knew when to be ready. I remember uh, 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 10 years ago, I'd be get, we'd be getting ready for a big meeting at our church and I'd be outside and I'd be, I'd be detailing my truck. I'd be detailing our car. Chris said, what are you detailing the car for? Why do you clean our car? I said, because if Pastor Jeff calls me to go pick somebody up, I'm going to be ready. She said, well, did he say he was going to? I said, no, but I won't have time to clean it because if he calls me, I'm going to have to leave work early and I can't clean my car, but I'm going to be ready in season and out of season. I know who to be around and how to be around them. Even if I'm acting like a rascal, I know who to be close to. Peter, this is the same guy who threw a cussing fit when somebody asked him if they knew Jesus. He said, you know Jesus? No, I don't know him. You know Jesus? No, I don't know him. You know Jesus? Blankety, blank, 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 blank. I don't know him. And Jesus looks over at him and as if love could pour out of his eyeballs and wrap Jesus in a Galilean hug, he looks at him and says, you're fixing to feel conviction, but don't you think that I've given up on you? Even when you're a rascal, you better know who to be around. Peter says, Peter says, Lord, all these people around you, how in the world could you ask who touched me? Number one, Jesus never asks a question he doesn't know the answer to. He just wants to know if you'll be honest. Because if you're honest, he can work with that. If you're not, you know, he's a good God. The Bible says, who the Father loves, he chastens. If you'll be honest with God, you can take the next step. If not, it's kind of like when you were back in gym class. And the coach goes, oh, really? Take another lap. And you're trying to figure out why you feel like you're on the merry-go-round of spiritual growth. And it's because when he asks you a question, you think you can tell him something that's not accurate. But he didn't ask you because he doesn't know. He asked you to find out if you'll be honest. And when you are, now you get to graduate to the next step. But he says, he says, he says, he says, who touched me? Peter goes, how can you ask that, Lord? I could, I could just see Peter. This same guy walks on water with Jesus. How can you ask that, Lord? There's so many people around you. And if I was Peter, I would be looking eye level. I would be looking right here because uh, the disciples, they served as the full helps ministry, which means they were security detail. They were the ushers. They were the, the janitors. They did everything. And I could just see Peter holding Jesus by the arm because Jesus is just smiling and loving people and probably kids are coming through and he's picking them up and kissing them on the cheek and setting them down and telling them, oh, you got a great future. You're going to be amazing. Oh, God's going to use you. And Peter's holding him and Peter's probably rushing him saying, you know, Jairus' daughter's going to die if we don't hurry up. And Jesus sitting there going, man, nobody dies around me unless I allow it. <laughs> and by the way, dead don't mean the end, Peter. So he's walking beside him, and Peter, the man standing right there, didn't even know who touched him. Didn't even, didn't even recognize who had reached out. And Jesus goes on and says, well, listen, Peter, I understand you don't understand the question, but somebody touched me because when, when they touched me, I perceived 
King James says that virtue went out of me. But that word's very interesting. It's actually the word dunamis, which is sometimes pronounced dynamis, which is where you and me get the word dynamite from, which Jesus said, I know somebody touched me because dynamite power just shot out of me. He looks around. She realizes she can't be hidden. She can't hide what had happened. And she came trembling, falling down before him and declared unto him and all the people for what cause she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. Now this lady was considered unclean. So for her to testify meant she might be embarrassed for a moment. But because she was willing to testify, she got to hear the voice of God speak directly to her. She says, I I had this issue for 12 years and I just knew if I could just touch you that I would be healed. So I know I'm not supposed to, but I pushed through the crowd I accidentally knocked that guy down. When your disciples tried to push me away, I said, fine. If I can't get to him walking, I will crawl. Because the only way she could have touched a tassel by his foot, she would have had to have been on the ground. She reached out and she said, as I was getting closer, I just knew if I could touch just the hem of your clothing, I would be healed. And she said, when I did, nobody could know this but me, but I was instantly healed. She was terrified because nobody knew how Jesus functioned and where the power came from. Maybe they'd heard stories about Samson and how as long as Samson had long hair, he had power. But if his hair got cut, then he didn't have power. Maybe they looked at Jesus and that light and maybe she had a kryptonite mentality where she thought if something unclean touched the reminder of how clean the rabbi was that his power would be drained out of him and he couldn't pour it out on anybody else. Maybe she was terrified that she had just stolen the gift from God. She didn't have the luxury of our Bible to know that he's the beginning and the in that he is infinite in all of his ways that when you think about him you can't think because he's going to go heal somebody else that means he can't heal me because this person received a healing that means I can't receive a healing no just because somebody next to you receives a healing that means part and parcel to the fact that he's no respecter of persons if he'll do it for them he will do it for me but she couldn't know this she could know none of this and Jesus in just the way that he always speaks. He looks at her and he says, Daughter, be of good comfort or don't be scared. If Jesus could say anything to you today in an audible voice, he would say, don't be scared. I know the world is scary. I know there's a lot of uncertainty. I know... 
Sometimes you got more bills than you have money. Sometimes you've got more issues than you've got patience. Sometimes you've got more problems than you've got solutions. But if God himself walked in here to speak to you today, the first thing, the salutation that he would give you would be the same salutation that almost every angel shows up with when an angel comes to speak to a human. He would say, do not be scared. When Jesus touches you or you touch Jesus... Fear has to go. Jesus says, be of good comfort. Your faith, everybody say faith. Faith. Come on, one more time. Faith. Faith. Y'all sound so good. Your faith has made you whole. Go in peace. Jesus says to her, I understand how it feels. I understand what desperation feels like because... I could just see him picturing in his mind the desperate need to have relationship with you and me that caused him to endure the passion before the cross, the crucifixion of the cross, and then he himself to descend into the pits of hell to defeat the devil, finally take his keys from him and bring them back so that you and I would never have to taste that. That is the same level of desperation that you and I have got to get to when we decide we are going to touch God if it means I crawl, if it means I walk, if it means it takes some of my sleep away, if it means it takes some of my time away, I'm going to get contact with God. Last week we spoke very clearly about the the, the leper that Jesus chose to heal with a touch. Jesus chose to heal him by stretching forth his Galilean hand and a man who hadn't been touched in years physically by another human being received the touch from the Messiah. And instantly he was made whole. Today we're talking about the same thing, but in reverse. Hundreds of people walking around But nobody was receiving what Jesus had to offer. At least we don't read about it. It's important to recognize that Peter did not even know what and who Jesus was talking about. It's important to recognize that surrounded by a great crowd... This lady was able to receive right where she was. That means to you and me, whether you're at work, whether you're in your car, whether you're having an argument with your husband, an argument with your children, whether the boss has called you in and you've already heard that there's going to be layoffs, whether you're in a situation where traffic has got you going on a scale of 1 to 10, you're at a 10 when it comes to your stress level. That means wherever you find yourself, nobody even has to know, but you can touch God. Nobody else was connecting because they missed the one Ingredient. Jesus says to her, Be of good comfort. Your faith has made you whole. You and me have to get to the place where when we try to touch God, we can't touch Him with a what if mentality and a I hope mentality. But we have to purpose on our inside 
on our inner man to say, when I touch him, then I'm going to be made whole. We do our very best here at New Heights to help develop an environment for you so that when you walk in these doors and we are worshiping, that you have no distractions. We don't turn the lights down because we like it dark. We turn the lights down because I don't want you thinking about this person and I don't want you thinking about this person. I want you thinking about him. I don't want you thinking, if I raise my hands, what will somebody think? What will I look like? I don't care what you look like. I want you to worship God. So we tried to create an environment, an atmosphere, where the Spirit of God is welcomed, where we enter His uh, uh, gates with praise and thanksgiving. We enter His courts, and literally, as we do that, the manifested presence of God floods this room. But what's interesting is even in the greatest of services, and I know you've been in some good ones, have you ever been in a service where you just were like, okay, church, how much longer? I wonder what the weight is going to be like at Cotton Patch or Abuelos or glory to God, we're getting a Papa Dose. We don't have any seafood here. What is the deal? Not that I know of. If you know a good seafood restaurant, email the church. <laughs> Jesus loves fish, y'all. But you're sitting there and the person next to you, their eyes begin to leak. You can tell they're having an encounter and you're like, What? How come you're having an encounter, but I got nothing? You see, we all have the same opportunity to touch God. We just have to purpose to do so. There's several lamps here, if you can see them. And each one of them has a plug associated. This represents the power which of course makes the lamp turn on and I can put the power real close to the plug and nothing happens I can tie the power to the plug and nothing happens. And, and really, that's what we're trying to do when we're praying for our loved ones who don't live for God, who don't love God, who don't serve God. We're going, God, rescue them! And we're trying to tie a knot around them so that they can be pulled back. And we're wondering, God, how can they not feel you? I've invited people to church, and we've had like a slobber knocker service, which is a technical term. Which means it was like totes cray cray. <laughs> I'm hip. I'm cool. <laughs> Just a servant. Who has ever been here on a Wednesday night? Wave at me. Would you recommend it? I, I think so too. Amen. I mean, it's, it's, if, you, if you want to see 
I mean, it'd be worth being a spectator on Wednesday nights sometimes. But, so, but just the presence of God so strong. I brought people to services like that. I remember one time I brought some people. We had a revival uh, going on. And I brought some friends of mine. And I'm like just beside myself, like in a vision, just, just crazy. We get out of service. I'm like, man, what'd you think? He's like, it's all right. I'm like, it's all right? The heavens just opened up over our church building. You can get people close to the glory. You can throw the glory on top of them. But there's only one way to make the light come on. Sooner or later, you take the masses, and somebody's got to say, I'm going to quit going with the flow. I'm not just going to live in the pile anymore. I'm not just going to live, and maybe it starts to look like uh, uh, the crowd starts to thin out. Maybe it starts to look like somebody starts to whatever. And then sooner or later you say, if I have to crawl on my hands and knees, I'm going to find a way to connect with the power that I not only need, but I desire. And when you do, miraculously, the light comes on. But, but I find it very interesting that even though I got one connected, nothing happened with the others. What I'm saying is, we have to take responsibility for our faith walk. When we hear that there is a God who will love us and touch us, who longs to forgive us, then it is our responsibility to do what we can do to touch that God who longs to love us and heal us and feel us and feel us and empower us and change us. And when we do... The light comes on, and if you'll notice, the light is not restrained. And I would venture to say that some of these other bulbs start to get a little bit jealous about what's going on with this one, and then all of a sudden the light starts to come on for other ones, and the situation is that just because one received it didn't mean the others couldn't receive it. But with God... There are times in his sovereignty when he stretches forth his hand and he touches each one of us in the area of our need. And I'm ever thankful and grateful for that. But I could not be more thankful and I could not be more grateful to know that the God that I love, that the God that I serve, when I find myself yoked in some type of bondage, that I can know that if I can just reach far enough, that if I can just crawl fast enough, that if I can just get through the crowd of doubt and unbelief and lack and fear and a poverty mentality and sickness and every other issue and name that can be named, if I can just get to the place where I can touch the hem of His garment, dynamite power is accessible to me. Your first touch oftentimes is somebody winning you to God 
And God reaches down, saves your soul from a fiery furnace of hell, sets your feet on a solid rock, and then establishes you a life and a life more abundant. But mature Christianity is when the enemy comes in like a flood and the wages, excuse me, the raging war of this world wrecks and ravages at your soul that you remember that you, his child, can touch him at any moment. Stand to your feet, please. I'm done teaching.